It is nearly 12 o'clock and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT on 100.1 FM. It is your public radio station. Thirty-five degrees under overcast skies and a little snow coming down, mixing with rain. We have northwest winds to 10 miles per hour at the airport right now, where they have 10 miles of visibility again and 89% humidity. Look for the rain for the rest of the day, mainly after 3 p.m., high near 40 today, with southeast winds to 15, becoming light and variable. Rain until 3 a.m. tonight, too, followed by snow showers. Low around 32 overnight, north winds to 10, turning to the northwest after midnight. And for tomorrow, it's Wednesday. The Weather Service has issued a high wind warning in effect from 6 a.m. tomorrow to 6 a.m. Thursday. They're expecting west winds 40 to 50, gusting to 80 miles per hour tomorrow. Coming up on the Midday Report, the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute is helping Alaska distribute seafood to the Ukraine. That plus Senator Dan Sullivan speaks out. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The U.S. Supreme Court is weighing today's arguments in a pair of cases challenging President Biden's debt forgiveness plan. NPR's Sequoia Carrillo reports the outcome will have big implications for some 40 million people carrying heavy loads of federal student loan debt. In one lawsuit, Biden v. Nebraska, a federal appeals court in Missouri froze the forgiveness rollout after six GOP-led states sued the Biden administration, saying the debt plan would harm their state's revenues. In the other, Department of Education v. Brown, a federal judge in Texas declared the plan illegal, ruling that the Education Department does not have the power to enact the plan. Justices could rule as late as June or early July. Student loan payments are set to resume 60 days after June 30th, or 60 days after the Supreme Court's final decision, whichever comes first. Sequoia Carrillo, NPR News. The U.S. House is holding a pair of hearings today to take a closer look at the escalating tensions between the U.S. and China. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports a newly formed House Select Committee will meet tonight to kick off its first hearing with a focus on the overall threat from Beijing. Ahead of tonight's primetime hearing, members of the House Foreign Affairs Committee also met to discuss the threats posed by China. Daniel Crittenbrink, the top diplomat for East Asia, testified that China represents the most consequential geopolitical challenge. It is the only competitor with both the intent and increasingly the economic, diplomatic, military and technological capability to reshape the international order. This evening, the House Select Committee on China will meet for the first time. The chairman of the panel says the hearings will be part of an effort to make Americans more aware of why they should care about competing with China and to selectively decouple the nation's economies. Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. Another member of Sam Beckman-Fried's inner circle is pleading guilty to criminal charges. NPR's David Gura reports Nishad Singh, who was the chief technology officer 
at the cryptocurrency exchange FTX is now cooperating with prosecutors. Nishant Singh, who worked with Sam Bankman-Fried at FTX and Alameda Research, the crypto hedge fund Bankman-Fried also founded, pleaded guilty to six criminal counts, including conspiracy to commit securities fraud and commodities fraud. Prosecutors allege she was part of an elaborate scheme to defraud FTX customers. Two regulators, the SEC and the CFTC, filed separate civil complaints against Singh, detailing how he made it possible for Bankman-Fried and others to use customer funds undetected. Singh's lawyers told NPR their client, quote, wants to do everything he can to make things right for victims, including by assisting the government to the best of his ability. David Gura, NPR News, New York. You're listening to NPR News. NPR News is brought to you in part by Providence Kodiak Island Counseling Center. For an appointment or more information, 481-2400. For KMXT, I'm Terry Haynes. More than a year into the war in Ukraine, Alaska's government is doing its part by sending aid in the form of Alaskan seafood. KMXT's Brian Benoit reports the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute is handling the state's food distribution. Bruce Schachtler is ASME's Food Aid Program and Development Director. He says while ASME doesn't own any of the seafood, they've helped manage the state's aid programs. That includes sending over $300,000 worth of Alaskan seafood, or about 3,600 cases of canned pink salmon, to Ukraine. We do things on behalf of the legislature of the state of Alaska. Most recently, at the request of the legislature, we sent three containers of canned salmon over to Ukraine. When the state government decides to send aid, they set a budget, and ASME solicits bids from companies across Alaska. Companies then bid on the sale and offer stock at competitive rates to ensure a maximized amount of product. The state has aided in several disasters over the years and through ASME has sent food to the Philippines after devastating typhoons and areas suffering food insecurity in Africa and the Middle East as well. Schachtler says ASME has a history of running the state's aid programs. ASME's been facilitating humanitarian aid for the last 20 years. ASME was asked about domestic food insecurity at a recent presentation to the State House Fisheries Special Committee, particularly as the state has been slow to send food stamps or process applications since August. Schachtler says ASME would be interested in sending food to those in need across the state, but they need funding and approval from the legislature first. I've discussed it with the State Department. I've discussed it with a few members of Congress uh, in Washington, D.C., but uh, I have not been contacted or heard anything further than that. If the state decides to purchase domestic seafoods for Alaskans in this year's supplemental budget, aid could be sent to food banks as soon as next week. But if aid isn't included until the 2024 regular budget, folks would have to wait at least until July. In Kodiak, I'm Brian Venois. A recent study found that two-thirds of the world's glaciers could disappear by the end of this century. That may sound pretty far into the future, but in Alaska, one of the most glaciated places in the world, those frozen landmarks are a strong attraction for the state's thriving tourism industry. And as Alaska Public Media's Michael Finelli reports, at least one glacier-centric company says the end is already in sight. Around the two-minute mark of their promotional video, Exit Glacier Guides founder Brendan Ryan can be seen walking effortlessly from dry land onto a vast expanse of ice. We 
stepped out onto the glacier and instantly we knew that this was something that people would never be able to see again and probably had never seen before. That video was filmed in 2008 and Ryan says in the years since, Exit Glacier has become much more complicated to access. Rather than it being a gentle step up, it's literally a sheer wall of ice because it's melted so far back from the sides of the cliffs where it used to be butted up against. These days, Ryan says they often have to cut stairs into the ice to get up onto the glacier, and those stairs usually melt away by the next day. They've also had to lengthen their tour times and implement a number of safety measures. The difference from the glacier over the past decade is mind-boggling. It's a completely different topography out there than it was um, you know, even really six years ago. In January, a study published in the journal Science found that glaciers around the world are melting faster than anticipated, and at the current rate of global warming, two-thirds could disappear this century. That would have drastic consequences for sea level rise and for the billions of people who rely on that runoff for everything from drinking water to irrigation. In Alaska, the impacts are not as dire, but they're happening now. I, I like to say that that in Alaska, the glaciers are not ornaments on the mountains. To a large extent, they are the mountains. National Park Service glaciologist Mike Loso says that glaciers are an iconic part of the state and are an integral part of many Alaskans' lives. Many, many people in Alaska have had the experience of walking on glaciers, skiing on glaciers, snow machining on glaciers. They're a regular part of our lives in a lot of ways, at least for many of us. And that's changing. And, it, and it's going to change even more. Our landscape as we know it is, is really being changed wholesale. Because they're so large, most of Alaska's glaciers won't go extinct anytime soon, he says. They'll just shrink out of the views we've become accustomed to. Loso says that many of our tourism patterns are oriented around where glaciers are now. Exit Glacier and the Kenai Fjords are popular because they're easy to get to from the road system. And so they're hot spots for tourism. And we have businesses and communities that have developed around those hot spots. And some of those hot spots are not going to be any good for viewing glaciers in 100 years or even in 50. Just how fast and how far the glaciers will retreat is unclear because the degree of change depends on how much more we heat the planet. Loso says this new study illustrates that we can substantially reduce the amount of glacial loss if we reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The glaciers of the future are going to be responsive to the choices we as a society make. And, and so though some additional loss of glacier mass is inevitable, the magnitude of that loss is in our hands. Loso says the National Park Service is now partnering with the authors of the January study to focus research more closely on the specifics of Alaska glaciers. In the meantime, tourists will continue flocking to hotspot communities like Seward, where the harbor comes alive every summer with tens of thousands of people eager to see the glaciers and wildlife of Kenai Fjords National Park. Kirsten McNeil is the marketing manager for Major Marine Tours. She says the company hasn't started planning for a future without Tidewater glaciers, but viewing them is a vital part of their business. We would have to change our entire operation as far as where we go, uh, the routes we take, what we're telling passengers we see. You know, I, I believe it would happen gradually over time, but it would definitely make us change our, our operations and what we're promising that passengers will see. For businesses like Exit Glacier Guides and founder Brendan Ryan, though, the timeline is much shorter. Eventually, it'll mean that we don't run our operations at all at Exit Glacier. And 
each year, we think that's an inevitability within the next couple of years. Ryan says his mindset at this point is to not look too far into the future. He's just trying to eke out one more season. In Anchorage, I'm Michael Finelli. Alaska U.S. Senator Dan Sullivan has called for extensive public hearings if recent revelations from the U.S. Energy Department turn out to be true. The department has told House and Senate Intelligence Committees that it has, quote, low confidence, close quote, that the COVID-19 virus initially leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China. In an interview with Chuck Todd on NBC's Meet the Press, Sullivan says he hopes Democrats will support these hearings into the Energy Department's conclusions. I know the Republicans in the House are certainly supportive of that. But I think if that happens, we need to make sure every country in the world knows this. Sullivan says China needs to be exposed for lying to the world. We just saw that with this Chinese spy balloon. It's the nature of a communist dictatorship to lie to their own people, to lie to the world. But I think that we need to make sure every country knows that and then look at what the consequences could be. Obviously, millions of deaths, huge economic impacts. Sullivan also said in the NBC interview that he supports more aid to Ukraine in its fight against Russia, but says the Biden administration has failed to give the country the necessary support it needs. That has been a pattern with this administration from the beginning where they have slow-rolled critical military weapon systems You know it's a long list. It's Patriots, it's HIMARS, it's tanks. Sullivan says that list should include F-16 fighter jets. He also says Biden's energy policies have hurt efforts to weaken Russia. Sullivan's appearance followed another interview with Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, who said the administration has provided aid to Ukraine with, quote, unprecedented amounts of speed close quote, that has allowed Ukrainians to take back half the territory Russia previously occupied during the war. The Alaska Native Sisterhood elected a new Grand President Emeritus. Millie Schoonover lives in the Prince of Wales Island community of Craig and has a long history of service to both the Alaska Native Sisterhood and community organizations. KRBD's Reagan Miller has more. Millie Schoonover joined the Alaska Native Sisterhood when she was 13. She's worn plenty of hats in her decades-long run with the Indigenous Civil Rights Group and now holds what the organization calls its highest elected position. ANS is my way of life. I've been an ANS member for so long. It's, it's been very, at times, challenging, but more rewarding than challenging. Schoonover was elected Grand President Emeritus in February. She replaces the late Ethel Lund, who died last year. Schoonover has served as the president of local ANS camps in Petersburg, Seattle, and Klawak. When she was 18, she became the local camp president of Craig. Schoonover went on to become the Grand Sergeant-at-Arms, Grand Second Vice President, Grand First Vice President, and Grand President. Schoonover also has an impressive resume outside of ANS. She was elected as the first female Native Mayor of Craig in 2009 and was the Craig Tribal Association president for 20 years. Schoonover was a search board member. She also was the president and a board member for Craig's Village Corporation, Sean C., and was a delegate and executive council vice president for the Central Council of Klinka and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska. She still serves on the Craig City Council, as well as Craig's Tribal Council and the Prince of Wales Community Advisory Council. Schoonover says her elders inspired her to join the sisterhood all those years ago and have guided her along the way. When I first became ANS 
local president, I had many, 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 many awesome mentors. The elders are the ones that groom you for these different positions on the local level and the grand camp level. And now it's her turn. The Grand President Emeritus is an advisory role, mentoring and inspiring the next generation. On the receiving end of Schoonover's advice is ANS Grand President Daphne Alby. She's known Schoonover since childhood, and she says the new Grand President Emeritus has long been a source of counsel. And uh, just over the years, uh, she's just become a wonderful mentor, and, and uh, I go to her for a lot of advice and uh, encouragement, and just uh, making sure that we stay on track. Albie says the sisterhood is benefiting from Schoonover's knowledge, patience, and experience in her new role. And she has a wonderful sense of humor. She is just, just, just so intelligent and just so caring. She truly loves the Alaska Native people. Schoonover says that in her new role, she's looking forward to sharing knowledge and experience with Indigenous leaders in the same way her elders did for her. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. Not all of the competitions at the Fur Rondi speed along a racetrack. About two dozen contestants tackled, a car- tackled carving a solid block of snow that's 8 feet by 8 feet by 8 feet. There are five divisions in the competition, individual, family, schools, corporate, and three-man teams. Colin Reedy has been taking part in the snow sculpture competition going on seven years now. He's a teacher with the Adult Transition Program, which helps students ages 18 to 22 transition after high school. Reedy says there are usually about 12 students on the ACT team who spend a whole week working, probably about five or six hours a day. So I always come up with the the plan for our sculpture every year. I try to come up with something different. So we've done uh, a water fountain one year. We've done a Fabergé egg. We've done a birdhouse, a log cabin, a giant teddy bear. Uh, So we're looking for simple things that we can handle. Last year, the ACT students made a snow castle. This year, they've turned their block of snow into a spaceship encircled with aliens. Not far away from the ACT students, a giant teenage mutant ninja turtle emerges from the snow, spray-painted with orange, green, and purple. It's the creation of the Partners Club, a Special Olympics Alaska group that's based in the schools. Mackenzie Peters, an 18-year-old vocational school student, is a Partners Club volunteer. She says... She's enjoyed her work with the students so much that set her on a new career path as an educator. I want to be a paraprofessional now after working with them. I've worked with them just a year and then this year, but it's just very much changed my like perspective on what I want to do when I'm older. The judging took place on Sunday. Students from the Alaska Waldorf School had the winning sculpture in the school category entitled The World is in Our Hands. It featured a pair of carved hands over which the planet Earth hovered. Another cautious outlook from a major retailer. I'm Novasafo with a Marketplace Minute. Target today said it expects at most modest sales growth this year, and it might even lose money. The company reported a 43% drop in profits during its holiday quarter. Walmart and Home Depot last week were also muted with their forecasts. The conference board's Consumer Confidence Index shows a relatively upbeat assessment this month of current economic conditions, but that was outweighed by concerns about the short-term future. Overall, consumer confidence declined for the second month in a row. 
Inflation in home prices is moderating. In December, the Case-Shiller National Home Price Index registered a seasonally adjusted three-tenths of a percent month-over-month decrease. It was the sixth consecutive month of declines. I'm Novasafo with the Marketplace Minute. Marketplace Minute is supported by JLL, shaping the future of real estate for a better world. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements. Good afternoon and welcome to your Island Messenger for Tuesday. It is the 28th and last day of February, the year 2023. The sun rose today at 8.06. It will set again at 6.38. That will give us 10 hours and 32 minutes of daylight, a gain of 4 minutes and 58 seconds compared to yesterday. A record high for this date was 50 degrees set in 1962, and a record low was 1 degree set in Chile, 1986. Currently 35 degrees, and there's an overcast sky that's precipitating some sort of sloppy-looking stuff. Northwest winds to 10 at the airport right now, where they have 89% humidity, 10 miles of visibility. The weather service is expecting rain mainly after 3 p.m. today. High near 40, southeast winds to 15, becoming light and variable this afternoon. Rain tonight, too, at least before 3 a.m., turning to snow showers after that. Low around 32 overnight with north winds to 10, turning to the northwest to 15 after midnight, but could gust as high as 25. And for tomorrow, look for the big wind. In fact, the U.S. Weather Service is calling for a high wind warning for tomorrow, starting at 6 a.m., going to 6 a.m. Thursday. They say to expect westerly winds 40 to 50 miles per hour, gusting to 80 miles per hour. And strong winds are expected to develop across the entire island. And they maybe kick up loose debris, damage property, and cause power outages. Traveling will be difficult tomorrow, especially if you have a high-profile vehicle. So keep that in mind. Otherwise, look for a 30% chance of snow showers tomorrow. Widespread blowing snow mainly after 3 p.m. and partly sunny skies with a temperature rising to near 36 by noon on Wednesday then falling to 28 during the remainder of the day. West winds to 40 gusting to 70 miles per hour. Looking at our local tides, we have a low tide coming up at 335 this afternoon. That will be one and two-thirds feet followed by a high tide here on the east side at 10.49 p.m. of 5.1 feet. Over on the west side, your low tide will happen at 3.47 this afternoon and be 2.8 feet, followed by a high tide at 10.27 p.m. of 8.2 feet in Larson Bay. Mariners, here is your weather. From Marmot Island to Sitkanak, you have a storm warning for Wednesday on Kodiak's east side. For today, southeast 30, becoming southwest 20 this afternoon and seas to 9 feet. For tonight, southwest 25, increasing to 40 knots, seas to 16 feet. And for tomorrow on our east side, northwest 55, becoming west 45 in the afternoon, gusting to 70 in the morning, then it's going to diminish to 60. Seas to 23 feet tomorrow building to 26 feet on Wednesday night. Over in the Shilikov Strait, gale warning tonight and Wednesday. For today, east winds to 25 knots should come down to 15 knots this afternoon. 
sees five feet subsiding to three feet this afternoon with freezing spray in the in the Shelikov, especially early on. For tonight, northeast 15 in the morning, becoming north 40, sees five feet building to 11 feet after midnight with freezing spray after midnight tonight in the Shelikov. And for tomorrow, west 35, increasing to 45 in the afternoon, gusting to 50 in the morning, increasing to 60. Sees 13 feet with freezing spray tomorrow in the Shelikov as well. The Historic Preservation Commission will hold a meeting today at 12 p.m. I guess that's going on right now in the Kodiak Public Library's multi-purpose room. It is open to the public, and agendas and meeting packets are available online at the City of Kodiak website. Today at 5.30 p.m., the local Alaska Department of Fish and Game Advisory Committee will be meeting. That's a public meeting to discuss proposals to the Board of Game especially the ones for Kodiak. The meeting is open to the public, and it's an opportunity to voice your concerns and suggestions. For more information, contact the Board of Game directly at boardofgame.adfg.alaska.gov. But again, that advisory committee to the Board of Game meets 5.30 p.m. tonight at the Fish and Game Building on Near Island. Also tonight, the Fire Protection Area Number 1 will be having their regular meeting and budget public hearing at the Bayside Fire Station. That's happening at 6 p.m. On Thursday, the Health Facilities Advisory Board's regular meeting will be happening in the Assembly Chambers at 3 p.m. Things going on at the library include... Tonight at 6 p.m., the library will show the film The Fablemans for dinner and a movie. You bring your dinner, they'll show the movie. This film is loosely based on the life of Steven Spielberg. The film is rated PG and is approximately two hours long. Again, that starts tonight at 6 p.m. in the library. Tomorrow at 3.30 p.m., the library offers their famous Lego Club. Children under 10 should be accompanied by an adult. And Thursdays, 10.30 a.m., the library hosts their lap-sit story time for babies 0 to 3 and their adults. Join volunteer Abby Hanna to share a story and a song with some quality time to play and socialize. Also on Thursday at 3 p.m. is the library's next chess club meeting. Drop in to learn and practice, you know, sharpen your chess skills in a cozy, friendly environment. It's 3 p.m. on Thursday. No experience is necessary and it's open to all ages. For more information about all these things, Contact the library at 486-8686. Also, attention fandom artists. Do you have art you'd like to share for a fan con? Join the library's fan art forum. That's happening March 17th at 10 a.m. Bring your portfolio and unique art for display at the fan art gallery. For more information, contact Alana or Bailey. Again, at the library's phone number, 907-486-8686. The Hospice and Palliative Care of Kodiak hosts Living Through Grief, a, a six-week group beginning March 1st. This group will be on Wednesdays from 5 to 6.30 p.m. at the Kodiak Public Library. To learn more and register, go to hpck.org or call them on the phone at 907-561-0600. But again, that's Wednesdays beginning tomorrow 
5 to 6.30 p.m. at the Kodiak Public Library. Kodiak Refuge Salmon Camp Registration Lottery is open. The Kodiak Wildlife Refuge will be having summer science camps for students going into kindergarten through 8th grade. Find registration packets at the Kodiak Refuge website or stop by the Kodiak Wildlife Refuge Visitor Center downtown. Packets are available at the front door or go inside during open hours, which is Wednesday through Friday at 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. The deadline to enter the lottery is March 31st. Just a reminder, the Kodiak Outdoor Film Festival will be occurring Friday, April 7th, so if you intend to submit your entry, that deadline is March 31st. It's time to go out and start filming your adventures. Visit www.islandtrails.org film for guidelines. Attention Community of Kodiak, the Coast Guard Marine Safety Office downtown, will be moving on Tuesday. They have moved, actually. Their new location is 5211 West Rizanoff Drive across from Anton Larson Road. Their phone number is the same. That's 907-486-5918. It's a tough time, but each of us can make a difference in the lives of Alaskans. All you have to do is give via pick, click, give by supporting Alaska's nonprofits when you apply for your PFD. You aren't just donating. You're giving more opportunity, more hope, more chances. You're changing the lives of Alaskans with the click of a button. Don't forget to pick, click, give when you fill out your PFD application this year. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the midday report at 1220, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.